You're listening to The Dollop. This. Whoa. It, what? This is a bi-weekly American history podcast. I'm doing fine. I'm fine. You sure? Each week, I read a story from American history. I, Dave Anthony. I, come on! I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. That's right. Step into the winner's circle every now and then, Anthony. <laughs> We'd love to have you. I'm in the winner's circle. No, you're not. You're on the fenced-out area. Three takes to get the intro right. God, you want a little hit of dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Guerra. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickly Podcast. Okay. There's you are there. Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> May 6th! Yum. 1856. Okay. Robert Edwin Peary. Right? Yeah, so this is a period piece. Was born in Crescent, Pennsylvania. His father died when he was three. God, man. Have you heard of that on the dollars? Every day. It's like he would tell people that and they'd be like, you should be thankful. Mine died when I was a month and a half. Lucky to have him. Uh, so, uh, mine died at childbirth. My dad died at childbirth. <laughs> Come he, on, I bet that's happened to something. Oh, for sure. The dad just falls over. Yeah. There. Oh, oh man, gout. <laughs> gout finally caught up with Travis. Not here. Oh. So uh, I'm gonna name him after him. His name will be Gout. That's his last name, though. Gout is his name. Gout, gout. He's gout, gout. He's beautiful, except for all the black veins. Dr. Gout, gout. So his mother took him and moved to Portland, Maine. Uh, Peary went to uh, Boyden College, graduated in 1877 with a civil engineering degree. Okay. He's doing all right. Yeah. He got a job at the U.S. Coast uh, and uh, Geologic Survey Office in Washington, D.C., and joined the United States Navy in October of 1881. Okay. Dude's rolling so far. Sure. Everything seems really fine. The U.S. Navy commissioned him as a civil engineer with the rank of lieutenant. Okay. Uh, he was sent to Nicaragua to survey for a canal to be built through the country. Okay. <clears throat> just no, didn't happen. Go, uh, how do you... <laughs> It didn't happen. But also when you do that, you're just like, there works. Well, yeah, you go around, you go, this would be a good place for a canal. What about from there to there? That's how it works, exactly. All right, I'm going to head home. Goodbye. Good luck digging. Uh, well, they're actually, funny enough, they're building it now. Th- this? They're now, well, I don't know if this one, but I don't know if exactly where they surveyed, but they they started building the canal a couple of years ago. In Nicaragua? Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, so he was sent to do the canal. Uh, he was there from 1884. Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Uh, yep. Because it's separated? Cause, no, because there's water in a canal. I got it. Uh, he was there from 1884 to 1885 and worked as an assistant engineer uh, and then became the engineer in charge. Okay. While he was in Nicaragua, he wrote in his diary that he would be the first man to reach the North Pole. Well, okay. As people do when they're kicking it in Nicaragua. So they had the secret back then. Yeah. So he was just manifesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
I will get to the North Pole. I will get to the North Pole. There we are, diary. You and I have made a handshake with paper and pen. And I shall close thee and it shall be... Done. <laughs> and the next page says, and murder Santa. And then I will begin the murder of not real things. I will stamp those goddamn elves. You're going to be covered in elves, Santa. Say it, Rudolph. Who's the best in reindeer? British naval officer John Ross had attempted and failed to find a Northwest Passage in 1818. When he was in Greenland, he noticed the Inuit had iron. Okay. Now, the Inuit are, are the, people. Yes, they are. In the Greenland area. Uh, yes. Uh, so they have iron. So Eskimos weird. was what they were yeah, formally referred to. Yeah. I don't know if that's offensive now, though. Is Eskimo offensive? I th- uh, well, I mean, shit. You know, you, you, I, I, believe, I believe it's not okay. I think Inuit yeah. is the accepted term. Yeah. Um, so, but Eskimo, I mean, there's still like Eskimo pies. That is right. the beautiful thing about our culture. Is they're yeah. like, sorry, though, we made a product when it was uh, okay. No, no, sir. We made coon cheese before. Sorry, Redskins. Isn't that what it's called down in Australia? Coon cheese? Yeah. It's great. They used shards of iron to make harpoons, knives, and other tools. Obviously, this was uh, very important in Greenland because there was very little wood there, and the only other common substance to make tools with was bone. So Ross was very curious, curious about where they got their iron. Okay. They told him it came from a faraway mountain, but not would not tell him where because they needed it, and obviously they didn't trust him. Yeah, I mean, look. Hey, where you keep this... Uh, it, it, where do you get this from, guys? Here's the call you always make if you're not white. Don't tell the white where the thing is. Never tell the white where the Don't thing is. Don't tell the white where the stuff is that you need. If we could go back and tell people in history anything, it's don't tell the white guy anything. Don't let the white know a thing, okay? So, Ross- Excuse me, I'm a, a prospector. Oh. I'm wondering where that delightful iron's come from. Okay. Why I only need a piece or two. Show me your... Precious metal. Precious metallic area. <laughs> Ross ended up going back to England with, with just some of the Inuit's tools. In his report to the British Museum, he mentioned that there was uh, meteoric material in the tools. I, uh, I already, huh? I don't, I don't like the game plan. It's fine. This was one of the things that piqued Peary's curiosity and made him want to make the journey. Call, what we call a Peary query. In April 1886, Peary wrote a paper for the National Academy of Sciences proposing methods for crossing Greenland's ice cap, and he headed off that year. Okay. He wanted to do it alone, but a Danish official explained and convinced Peary that he would die if he did it alone. Yeah. Who wants to go alone? I'm going to the North Pole alone, gentlemen. Good day. <laughs> and good life. You will never see me again, but I will have gotten there. All right. So the Danish guy joined him, and uh, Peary's mom gave him $500 to buy supplies and book passage. Okay. Mommy, I'd like to go to the North Pole. <laughs> well, I don't know, Mom. Some of the guys are being mean about the equipment that I got, huh? They're saying my pickaxes aren't good enough. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're dull. Well, I don't even want to go to the North Pole anymore. I'm just going to go in my room and cry, I say. Oh, here's $500. Oh, Thank you, Mamsie. So uh, they went on a whaler. They were taken there on a whaler. They made it about 100 miles uh, across Greenland before turning back because they didn't have enough food. 
how how does I feel like that's not the first time I've heard that. How like I, you overpack? But I think they treat were like, it like socks. What can I overpack? There? There's gonna be so many fish. What? No. And and cows. The recipe and for disaster. And there's gonna be tons of tomatoes. It's like when you decide to take the, when you like have no gas left and you decide to push the freeway oh, anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's like that, but with survival and food. <laughs> It's with your life. In 1886, uh, pa- Perry met Josephine Deepschitz. Sorry, of, of the Dipschitz? Dibeschitz. Uh, Sorry, he met Josephine Dipschitz? Dibeschitz. Dibeschitz? Dibeschitz. 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 You know, actually, Dibeschitz oh is a way it's, of scotch. Dibeschitz. What? I'm going to show you this name right here. Let me read that one with a little red underneath it. Oh my god. It's die bitch. It really is die bitch. <laughs> in 1886, her name is Josephine die bitch. <laughs> and OJ didn't marry her? No. Oh fuck, that's so great. Uh she was a very smart progressive woman. But hey, Dave. I it's going to take me a minute. <laughs> Like, not all names are great. Die, bitch. I mean, that's a rough one. That is insane. I mean, that is one. I'm, we're going to keep the name in America. What's your name? A die, bitch. Fuck. Oh. This is my girlfriend, Killahor. <laughs> <laughs> so she's very smart and progressive. She was a uh, business school valedictorian and believed women should be. Nobody knows this school more than Miss Die, bitch. <laughs> She believed women should be working in jobs instead of just mothers. Uh, when they met, she was working at the Smithsonian Institution. She had taken over for her father's position as a linguist. When Dr. Diebitch. Dr. Mr. Diebitch. Mr. Dr. Diebitch. Excuse me, Mr. Diebitch. Yeah, please call me Mr. D. <laughs> uh, she uh, resigned from the Sm- Smithsonian when she and uh, Peary got engaged. Okay. So that kind of flies in the face of the whole Yeah, women should be... Out of the hope and working thing. Right. Because she uh, quit right away. Yeah. Right. Uh, so they married in 1888 and honeymooned in Atlantic City. Oh, gosh. Wonderful. Uh. Uh, Perry's mother went on the honeymoon with them. Uh, <laughs> if there was ever a time for a die, bitch. Mommy's going to show me where to put it. Okay. Um. Uh. Why? Uh, super awkward. Oh, God. I mean, clearly he was connected to his mom after his dad died. Yeah. What do you uh, mean you guys don't have a cot? I guess she's going to have to share the bed with us. Mommy's going to sleep in bed. Don't worry. She watched me do my emissions. And when Peary was assigned to Philadelphia, uh, the mom lived with the newlyweds. Oh, God. Strangely, Josephine and Peary's mom didn't get along. Oh, God. I yeah. Don't know why. Yeah. You know you know the deal. You don't even need... You don't know the deal right yeah. away. Yeah. The mom... I mean, talk about a perfect last name for the mom. She was like, die, bitch, indeed. Josephine told uh, Peary his mom should go back to Maine. But uh, he had an even better idea to get out of the situation, which was to go back to Greenland, which Peary did in 1991, this time he had a lot 1891. of... 1891. Sorry, 1891. This time he had a lot of funding from different scientific groups. Uh, he took a more difficult route, heading more to try to determine if he could get to the North Pole through Greenland. 
So he's he's taking a, a route that's more difficult, but seems like it would work better. Now, the first time when he met the Inuits and found out about the iron, that was in Greenland. He this isn't the same guy who found that was the first oh. explorer that went there. Oh, okay. He just read about it in a book. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there were several men on this trip, including future explorer Frederick Cook. Okay. Uh, he he was uh, signed up as the surgeon, and he brought Josephine as. This the- is the cook. Or, sorry, surgeon. He he brought Josephine as the group's dietitian, even though she had zero experience as one. Okay, so uh, Cook was a doctor and Diebitch was the cook. That's correct. Okay. Uh, newspapers attacked uh, Peary for bringing his wife. The trip didn't start well. <laughs> as the ship they were on was cutting through sheets of ice, the ship's iron tiller suddenly spun around and snapped both bones in Peary's lower leg. Oh, shit. So when I said it what didn't start well, I really meant it didn't start well. How do you keep going on a mission for iron after iron cuts through your leg? It's uh, it's a sign. That you, <laughs> it's you that good. It's not a red sign. It's not a red flag at all, you guys. So they stopped at a camp and built him a building, uh, and then he stayed there and recovered for six months. Wait, wait. Okay. Yeah, they built him a little recovery. So camp. he didn't do he's not okay, not much for the mission. That's it. The rest Good of the thing group, he brought okay. The rest of the group would hunt and, uh food by boat and uh introduced and got to know the nearby Inuit people. Okay. Peary uh began dressing like an Inuit, which he he realized based on their last trip that that was the way to go. So they covered themselves in fur. They were basically made a big fur. Right. Suit. Okay. Um the Inuit were curious about the Americans and came to visit the camp. Josephine did not like the way they smelled. Okay, all right. They did not bathe. Well, I, that uh, that I I uh-huh. I get the smell thing yep. now. Yep, it's probably from not bathing. Yep. Uh, she was also upset that they had fleas. Uh, and she did not like what they uh, ate. Okay, so she's not having a good experience. No, she's not enjoying this at all. Right. Uh, Perry's leg uh, was finally good. To Where's go. your mom now? Can she come now for this part? <laughs> Perry's leg was finally good to go in February 1892. Uh, on May 3rd, 1892, he finally headed out on the journey with four men. And then fell on a big thing of iron. And broke everything. <laughs> they concluded Greenland was an island. Overall, they traveled 1,250 miles. Josephine had a baby... While he was on his journey. Wow. Because, uh, you know, they, what else are you going to do when you're sitting around with a broken leg, right? Do it. Uh, do it. You okay. Know what I'm talking about? It's hot. Stuff's hot. Wait, excuse me? Uh, they named her Marie Anguito Piri. She, uh, she was given a Inuit middle name after an Inuit woman who sewed the baby a tiny fur snowsuit. Okay. So Adorable. 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 Uh, they returned home having not found the North Pole, however. Piri still yearned for what he really, really wanted, which was fame. During his time with the Inuit, he had learned of the iron tools they used and figured if he could find it, that that would bring him the fame he wanted. By the way, he achieved it. We're talking about him. Right? He still wanted to be the first in the North Pole, but he figured if he could come back with some discovery, a trophy of any kind, that might work as well. At the time, more explorers were heading to Greenland and trying to find the North Pole. That meant the Inuit were finding people to trade with, which made the iron uh, from their source less crucial. Okay. 
And that may have been why one very stupid Inuit man brought Peary to see the location of the of the meteorites on Peary's next expedition nope. in 1894. Nope. To get him to do this, nope. Peary gave him one gun. Oh, God. <laughs> Which he later used on himself. <laughs> uh, don't tell the white. Peary and the traitor Inuit... As in, I'm saying he's a traitor. Yes, not an A uh, A I T O. Yeah. Uh, Traveled for 11 days and 25 miles to get to two small meteorites. The Inuit called them the woman and the dog. I assume that's because of the way they were shaped or size. Yeah, who knows? Maybe one. One barked. And the other one was like hot. (laughs) Those are the conditions. (laughs) There. One one was maternal. This is the one that raised me, and this is my best friend. Uh, there was an even larger meteorite on a separate island known, known as... Grandpa. The tent. The tent? Oh, I, God. It's got to be the shape. Unless they, <laughs> the unless they were crawling inside that bad boy. We live in here. Uh, each was surrounded by thousands of hammer stones, which the Inuit had brought for hundreds of years to carve the meteorites. This was something that had been a part of the Inuits' lives for generations. So, uh, I mean, course, uh, yes, go ahead. Perry decided to take them. Yep. <laughs> Can you imagine going somewhere and finding a race of people that had relied on something and going, "Man, I got to get this out of here." It, it's what, it, but it's what it's what history like. It's what history is yeah. is and always will be. Is the guy who finally just like was like. What if I was a huge prick? What can I do that's the worst thing right now? Here we now? go. You know, I think the problem is that the Inuit have never met a huge asshole. Get it out of here. But our generations, I know. Uh, screw them. I've, I want to be famous. I've F you. I've introduced you to dicks. I'm going to kill Santa too. Perry headed back to his ship, took it around to where the meteorites were, and got to work. The woman was put on an ice floe. Which was used to transport it to the ship. You mean the mother one? Yeah. Right. Woman. It's called a woman. Oh, I thought you said mother. No, woman. Uh, But halfway there, the ice broke, and uh, the meteorite was almost lost to sea. His men had to very quickly pull it to safety from the ice-cold water. Can you imagine if they'd just seen... They were like, why is he just... What? Just some Inuit sitting on the shore, watching it sink, going, what's going on? Not knowing that he was going to take it? Is he just sinking meteorites? Uh, But he got it on the ship, and off it went to be a spectacle for white people instead of a valuable resource for generations of a race of humans. (laughs) Well, Dave. He quickly returned the next year and took the smallest meteorite called Dog. But the tent was going to be the hardest one. It was more than 11 feet long. It's a fucking 11-foot-long meteorite. Leave and he's it taking it. it. Who did you leave it? It's a meteorite. The bay surrounding the island... It's all... Uh, I'm not even going to say it. The bay surrounding the island the tent was on was frozen for the majority of the year. So he had a small time window to get in there and steal it. Right. He had to wait until the time was meteorite. That's correct. The first time he tried to steal tent... They could not against the tent. Yeah, they could not do it in time. In the time they had, and the ship started to freeze in the ice, so he had to abandon the attempt. And he waited to the next year. Came back in 1896, again with the goal of stealing the tent. There was a photographer on this trip, so the entire thing is documented. 
He also had uh, kept handwritten notes explaining everything. So they had to dislodge the tent and move it 300 feet. Men dragged the huge meteorite with chains wrapped around it, pulled it over the rocky shore and across snow. They built a short rail bridge from the shore to the ship and pushed the giant rock across. And when it was finally on board, an American flag was draped over the... Uh, uh, like a corpse coming back from war? That's right. Look what we found. That's right. Another thing we're saying is ours that was actually somebody else's. Well, that that's what I was going to say. Like, what... A, well, what, what is the Inuit response to this? I mean, it can't be great. They have to be livid. Well, I would imagine... But that's the problem. It's like the I like like you said. I just you don't understand how somebody could so cavalierly they, be like. They think they're so fucking superior. What? What? Yeah, they. It's us. I mean, I I wouldn't. I'd go there and be like, hey, I like your rock. Yeah, same. Oh, dude, for can sure. I take a picture. Yeah, can I take a picture? By the way, Iceland, we will be there on the twenty yeah. first. Taking your meteorites, motherfuckers. <laughs> What's this? This a volcano? What if we, there was no show? Wait, what did they do? They actually took a huge meteorite. What? Yeah, it was called Tree. Huh? And they took it. There better be elves up there. So, uh, right. So they put an American flag on it, and Peary's young daughter, Marie, broke a bottle of wine against the rock. Sorry. her na- With her middle name, Agnito or whatever it is. Her name is Marie Perry. Marie and Guito Puri. Marie Puri. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know. Sure. Um, so, to make things worse, Puri had been asked by Franz Boas uh, at the Natural History Museum in New York to bring back one living Inuit. What? For st- Dave. <laughs> study. Dave. What? No. What? No. We need a thing from the Damn island. it. Uh, this, hey, I, uh, no, you shut up. Listen you shut me. your mouth. Listen shut your me. mouth. We need something shut special. Shut your mouth. We need something special. Shut your mouth. Give me something that I can't get anywhere That else. is what is amazing. Like, now I miss when meteorites were being stolen. <laughs> Take what? Hey, while you're there, sorry. You know what? You asked if I wanted something. I do want something. What's that? Bring back one of the humans. It's go what? Sir? You just bring back one. I'm gonna what? bring it here, and I'm gonna look at it. What? Yeah, I'm gonna look at its eyes and its ears, and then its mouth, and then maybe you know, look at its brain a little. Huh? Yeah. No, no, no. They're not humans. So go there and bring one of those humans back. Ugh. Yeah. I bring a good-looking one too. Peary apparently didn't think that one would be enough, so he decided to take a batch of humans from another place. Oh my God! He convinced no. a man named Quisik and his young son Minik, also a man named Atangana, his wife and his daughter, and another guy. Oh, this is a tough one. Named Uisaka Sakak, Uisak Asak. A big one. Uh, so those six people come with him. He How? told them all okay. they would have, quote, nice warm houses in the sunshine land and guns and knives and needles and many other things. And he's taking them to New York. Yep. Right. Oh, yeah, you're going to love it. Very rustic. <laughs> very, very much like here. Super sunny. We can get you guys back to some of your meteorites. Have you heard of Hell's Kitchen? You'll love it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the young boy who was traveling with his father, uh, uh, Minnick, his mom had just died, right? So he's with his father alone now. He was just seven years old. Minnick's father was told they would just be in New York for one year, 
Um, okay, so how did he convince them to come? Well, he had stolen their meteorite, so they were in need of things now. Ugh. So young Minnick would later give his description of what happened. Quote, when Mr. Peary came to us 12 years ago, we had never seen a white man. At the start, Perry was kind enough to my people. He made them presents of ornaments, a few knives, and guns for hunting, and wood to build sled sledges. This must be sleds. But soon sledges work. But as soon as he was ready to start home, his other work began. Before our eyes, he packed up the bones of our dead friends and ancestors. So he just starts digging up bodies because he's like, these are going to be great for the. Science, uh, our scientists uh, to study. Let's just get these. So he's he's in front of these people. He's digging up the fucking bodies. Not that guy that gave you the flute. Uh huh. Isn't he digging up Grandpa? Yeah, it's not great. It's a uh, f- uh yeah. That's the guy. Is he a good guy? It doesn't seem like it because he's big. Now he's digging up Grandma. Why is he laughing? I don't know. Why is he rolling around in him? I don't know. He's weird. Okay. So the women are crying, and the oh. men uh, questioning. He answers that he was taking our dead friends to a warm and pleasant land to bury them. So oh, he's just gosh. a fucking... So he's no soul. He's, he's a, soulless. Yeah, he's soulless. He's without a soul. Right. Our soul supply of flint for lighting and iron for hunting and cooking implements was furnished by a huge meteorite. This Peary put aboard his steamer and took from my poor people who needed it so much. After this... He coaxed my father and that brave man, Natuka, also called Atangana, uh, who were the strongest hunters and the wisest heads of our tribe, to go with him to Africa. So now he's taking the leaders of their of their tribe. Our people were afraid to let them go, but Piri promised that he would, Piri promised that they should have Natuka and my father back within a year and that with them would come a great stock of guns and ammunition and wood and metal and presents for all the women and children. We were then crowded into... The so he hold. is Santa Claus. Yeah. We were then crowded into the hold of a vessel and treated like dogs. Peary seldom came near us. So he just... So he fucking, completely lies. He, one man devastated this group. He took their their meteorites that they made tools with. He started taking their bodies, uh, ancestors' bodies. Then he lies to them and says, "I can get you out of this situation that I created when I took the meteorite." And um, you come, you come to New York, and then I'll bring you back with a bunch of shit. And then he just takes them. But again, I mean, what is the lesson? Don't, Don't talk, talk to, to the white. white. Don't talk, Don't to, talk white to the white. They arrived in Boston in September 1897, and people were excited. Boston. From the Boston Post. Dude, you guys look wicked warm. Shit, look at you. Dude, look at these guys. Look at this guy. He doesn't like it when you rub his face like this. (laughs) Dude, look, he gets so pissed at this. Look at this guy. Watch when you dump a lager on his head what he does. Nothing. (laughs) From the Boston Post, quote. Explorer Peary brings a company of Eskimo with him to Boston. When the Hope, which is his ship, came up Boston Harbor yesterday morning, a representative of the post was the second person to board her and the first to see the wonderful piece of iron, which is supposed to have dropped from the heavens. Yeah, yeah in another it, area. Yeah, somewhere else's uh, place. People came down to the ship to get a look at, quote, the strange cargo on the Hope. 
Quote, once on board, their first object was to get a view of the much-famed meteorite, and after that, they gave all their attention to the six red-faced natives of the Arctic who made a laughable sight as they ran up and down the deck in the clothes the sailors had given them. Now, why do I think they weren't running up and down the deck by their own will? Because they're slaves. Because they've been completely trapped, and they have no idea, and and because there's no way. You're a bummer. There's no way that they're Maybe. like the excitement. I mean, they just want their meteorite. <laughs> they literally, I think that they're going to get their meteorite or like gifts, gifts, or tools to survive. Yeah. Uh, the article said the Inuit were going to be returned to their home in Cape York the next spring, but first a tour. Of course, always a tour. The hope was next. Everything went on tour. The hope was next sailed to New York and anchored at the Brooklyn Navy Yard on October 2nd, 1897. There were 20,000 people who paid 25 cents each to climb aboard and see the meteorite with the Inuit. That's a lot of fucking money back then. Then a 100-ton floating crane at the Navy Yard removed the meteorite from the ship, and the Inuit were taken to the Natural History Museum. That's not good. At the museum, they were put in a... Shut up. What were they put in? Damp cellar. Why? What? Yeah, it's like a, uh, an igloo, but a brick. Not at all. Uh, which oh, is not, God. That's not great for people who um, are from a dry, cold climate. Now, I don't think it's great wet. for any people. Well, but it's even worse for people that are... All right. No, you're right. <laughs> I'm take it all back. Okay. It really so tangled up over there. Yeah, it's, it's going on wire wise with you. Crazy. You okay? Oh, right now I feel like I'm Jose. The way this microphone. Uh, yeah, you are playing like Jose. Where is Jose? Um, oh, right there. Nope, that's a lump. That's like a seal. That's not a cat. Ha 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 ha. He's very healthy. At the museum. He's running sprints. Franz Boas studied the Inuit. Uh, How do you study a? Uh, a think? type you, of you people poke and prod them and you measure so that's teeth. what it is yeah because you you're not going to their... study it you're not going to learn any cultural stuff because no. they're so f- afraid no, he's like checking their ears out right he is okay he is doing the ears and the eyes yeah. uh but this was fascinating different. balls on the men aren't they <laughs> you know what i mean jim why do you always look at the balls you know i say the balls are the door into the soul so i always grab them and twist them and pull like a doorknob Kind of balls you have, Larry. Okay. Uh, but this is New York, and the climate was very different than Greenland. A heat wave hit. And combined with their lack of immunity, immunity to American diseases, they were all sick in a couple of weeks. And they kept getting sick. Oh, God. <clears throat> Within eight months, four were dead from TB. Oh, my God, Dave. very long, didn't <laughs> Don't. That was a short journey. Oh, my God. So they basically came to America, were put in a basement, and then died. Uh, one of the uh, people who died was Minnick's father. That left just Minnick and Yuasaka Saka 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 alive. The four dead Inuit were dissected by medical students. What? 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 What is? What is happening? Uh, I just sounded like Mister <clears throat> Belding. I was so astounded. Now Minnick. Uh, asked for his father to be buried and Boas 
put on a uh, barrel for him in uh, Central Park, in which he took a log, put a face mask on it, wrapped it in a sheet, and had the barrel done at night with lanterns, tricking Minnick into thinking that his father was being buried when actually he was being put into the Natural History Museum's collection. Oh, my God. <clears throat> when spring came, a Yusuke returned to Greenland, but Minnick was left behind all alone. <clears throat> and he, he's just... Now, who's making now, that decision? I don't, I don't understand why that guy didn't take him back, but maybe they, they didn't let him. I mean, I would imagine that guy wanted to take the kid back. There had to have been a thing where they're like, no. You can go, but the kid stays. Also, he's fucking seven or eight now. So if you lose both your parents before you're seven, it's a nightmare. But losing... Unless your, you're Batman. Unless you're Batman, then it sets up a great a great path. Still tortured, but better path. Right, where then you're just a super rich guy beating up uh, poor people. But um, this kid's like eight, and he's alone in a new fucking world. Like, it's crazy. Not only a new... It's not even a new exciting world. No, it's not a great world. <laughs> it's a new terrifying it's a world. world. Yeah. Uh, so, um... A man... Uh, so, Piri just bails. Once he's just out of the picture. Cool guy, though. Good to, good to meet him. Yeah. A man named William Wallace... Who There's no <laughs> bloody way... What you've done to these children <laughs> and these other bloody Inuits. Freedom! Uh, he was the superintendent of the museum. Go! And you may live. Stay your mate, day. I'm seven. But know that from this day forward, every day you live, from then until now, and now until then, will be. Are you alright? You see, little. Yeah. Got a lot of mucus. You alright? I'm hot. You're what? It's hot. It's hot. Yeah, it is bloody. Yeah, look, I've been kept down here as well in the cellar. I don't know what to tell you. I'm part of the exhibit myself, yeah. No, I don't know what to. Okay. Yeah. Are you a ghost? I don't know anymore exactly what I am, to be completely honest with you. Did you say something weird about Jesus and you can't make movies anymore? Well, look, listen, you live in the museum long enough, you'll hate Jews, okay? That's the bottom bloody line, right? Honestly, you'll get used to that. My best friend's a dinosaur. (laughs) Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah, my best friend is a triceratops. Yeah. Absolutely inseparable uh, we are. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Jumanji? <laughs> I've seen Night at the Bloody Museum, mate. Oh, it's a, yeah, I think you think. Yeah, I think similar, similar, oh, similar. I'm previous. Thinking, all right, Jumanji's the game. By the I way, love America. I do not like Jew. <laughs> oh, Manji. <laughs> okay, uh, I didn't know. Not okay. So William Wallace, who's a superintendent of the museum, adopts young Minnick. Uh, he and his wife. Brought Minnick to their home to live with them and their son in the Bronx. Minnick took their, took their last name, uh, and they loved him. They treated him awesome, okay. which is a good thing, the okay. only good thing in the story. But being the only Inuit in New York, he was very isolated, even though the family treated him well. So he's obviously like you're a fucking one of a kind, and yeah. everyone's just a dick to you. Yeah, and now they're like, how do you like your waffles, Minnick? <laughs> Minnick's like being distant again. I like we eat fish for breakfast. Oh, God, he wants more fish. Minnick, there'll be no more fish. Syrup. 
Syrup. Syrup. Oh, here we go. He's having one of his tantrums. Get the ice. Uh, Peary continued to make expeditions to find the North Pole. In 1901, word came that he was lost in the Arctic. (laughs) Good. Peary's family and supporters reached out to Frederick Cook for help. Cook, uh, at this point, Cook was an a explorer on his own. Okay. Uh, uh, Cook sailed north on a rescue ship, found Peary, and treated him for ailments ranging from scurvy to heart problems. Uh, mm-hmm. What about a heart? Was he able to put he, one of those in? not have one. That was the problem. Oh. Next, Peary was given $50,000 in funding by the Crocker family, who were rich from banking, in 1905. On that expedition, he claimed he uh, made it furthest north. So that's like a big deal to make it. He's gone the furthest anyone's ever gone north there, right? He also said he had discovered a previously undiscovered piece of land, which he named Crocker Land. Okay, so he's he's in. That's the company, right? That fronted him, right? Later, when his diary was reviewed, it was discovered on the same day he said he found Crocker Land that he wrote in the diary, "quote No land visible." Was also discovered. To make his furthest north claim, he would have had to have traveled 133 kilometers between sleeping. And that would have been in a direct line with no detours. But a lot, I mean, okay, devil's advocate, uh-huh. a lot of explorers suffered from sleep running. <laughs> the, the nerves of being in That's this environment fair. would yep. get, you know. That's fair. That would get them up and they would, they'd, yep. I mean, some of them would. I, go, I, go, one, go, guy, go, go. one guy climbed Everest. Yeah. It, in a cold sleep. Didn't even know it. Woke up. He's like, I didn't huh? Whoa, he, whoa, he almost fell. He was so astounded. Only National Geographic magazine certified Peary's uh, furthest honor, and it was not a scientific magazine at the time. A future expedition would determine that Crockerland did not exist. So, okay, that oh, is... He's a bit of a liar. That is a great advantage, though, yeah, in the... the first I, the, Being the first? Yeah. No, I did it. Oh, Yeah. No, I went super far. What's the furthest someone went? I was way past that. Oh. Yeah, I got a whole area called Crockerland. I'm your guy. You can trust me. But in 1906, New York Papers published a story that said that Minnick's father's skeleton was displayed in the museum. Minnick learned through classmates teasing him that this is what, uh, had, be- what had become worst. of his father... And that the barrel had barrel had been a fake. I mean that is like that That's as a like a way. kid. How do you? Your daddy's on a display. Like I don't know how that goes. I mean, your on dad's a... in a window. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. No, you're like D I S P A L Y. Your daddy's an Inuit, and he did die. <laughs> but that that truly is as far as like you know. I think when like when I think back to being a kid, like. You know, there's you, everybody gets picked on, and, and you pick on people, and like it's very, it it, it is really like vicious. That's why, like yeah. a lot of times when you hear like, um, you know, the stuff that's going on now, to me, like one of the harder things to hear is the idea that that at school, uh, you know, kids are mocking Mexican kids yeah. about how their parents are going to have right. to go, and like so as a kid, when you hear something like that, you just have no defense because you just are so afraid. Yeah. So, I mean. M- Amplify that if kids are mocking that your dad's bones are on display in a goddamn museum. Uh, Minnick was interviewed by a newspaper. Quote, hey, Minnick, how do you feel about your dad's bones being in glass? 
I can never be happy till I can bury my father in a grave. It makes me every cry every time I think of his poor bones Ugh. up there in, a, in the museum in a glass case where everybody can look at them. Just because I am a poor Eskimo boy, why can't I bury my father in a grave the way he would want to be buried? So as he also, I was pretty sure the body was in Central Park. <laughs> also, last I, I heard, turns out it was a log. He's a lot bigger and so, less like a log than I remember. As he grew up in the Bronx, Minnick caught pneumonia repeatedly, but he still managed to excel at baseball. It's not that much running. He eventually went to Manhattan College in 1909, but he didn't last long. He wanted to study civil engineering, but quit because quote he felt like a freak to those about him. He also fought to get his father's skeleton back, wanting to give him a proper burial, as per his people's traditions. But the director of the... Well, there's, there's not a lot of people whose tradition is to put the person in glass. <laughs> uh, the director of the museum would not acknowledge that the museum had the skeleton. Uh, he eventually got... Could, I mean, that is our political process yeah. at play. He eventually got the Peary Arctic Club to pay for uh, his passage back to uh, Greenland. Wow, there's a little bit more of that. Otherwise, uh, Peary basically moved on. Uh, so, so when he was around 18 years old, uh, wait, sorry, this is a mistake. Okay, so so he's interviewed when he's around 18 years old, and he hasn't seen his people or the island since he was seven. He wants to go back to Greenland, and uh, he's interviewed. By a reporter, and he says, quote, you're a race of scientific criminals. I know I'll never get my father's bones out of the American Museum of Natural History. I am glad enough to get away before they grab my brains and stuff them into a jar. Wow. So he's a little... Uh... <laughs> he seems... I, and I, I mean, look, I'll be honest, a little negative. <laughs> a little negative. Make the best of your situation. A little negative. Yeah. How about the glass case that contains your father is half full? Thank you. Okay. It's a half it's a half full display. Thank you. The same year Minnick wanted to head back to Greenland, Peary was also once again going back to Greenland. Uh. He was looking for funding for a new expedition, still trying to find the first uh, still trying to be the first man to reach the North Pole. <laughs> I do I do hope that this piece of garbage never makes it to the North Pole. In an examiner story, Minnick explained why he wanted to leave. I felt that I must go north back to Greenland somehow, some way. I am a burden on my friends, and I see clearly that as long as I live, they will uh, have me a weight upon their hands, helping me always. I can never forgive Peary, and I hope to see him to show him the wreck he has caused. I have lost hope. I lost it when Peary refused to take me with him this last trip. And I've given up believing your Christian creed that you taught me was meant for one and all, Christian and savage alike. I gave that up finally when Professor Bumpus at the museum told Bumpus at the museum told me <laughs> the last time I could not have my father's bones to bury them. Where's your Christianity? My own people are kinder and better, more human, and I am going back to them. My land is frozen and desolate, but we can bury our dead there. Ugh. What has your civilization done to my people? And me, but harm us. We are now tens when we were thousands, and what is left is dying fast through your work. Okay, well, uh, is that your whole quote, or so? Uh, so T-shirts. Do you like them, or are they weird for you? So there, there's two things here. There. So he goes back to Greenland, right? Mm -hmm. 
Now, one one account, I couldn't figure out which one was real, was that he got the Peary Arctic Club to pay for his passage. But another one, a guy who wrote a book, said that uh, Peary had a secret that Minnick knew. Piss tape? Peary, when he'd been going up to Greenland, had been having an affair with an Inuit woman. Okay. Well, sort of a woman. When they started having sex, she was just 14. Oh, God. This guy. (laughs) Come on. Something. Do something right. And he fathered two children with her. The last thing Peary needed was Brad, more bad press, so he agreed to take Minnick back to Greenland. So that those are the one, those are the two. What, what is the ride? How now, long is the ride? Now the thing that gives this credence is that there are relatives of his, Inuit relatives of his. So, uh, so Minnick is now eighteen, uh, and he gets back to Greenland, and he discovers that he's now a stranger to his people and his homeland. He's yes. grown up in the Bronx. He had forgotten his native language. You guys don't know what a yo-yo is? <laughs> oh, boy. This is going to be super oh, awkward. Stickball. I'm talking about come on, stickball. Come on. Come on, you guys. Come on, guys. Well, come on. No, just oh. draw a circle in the snow. We're going to play marbles. Where's a fucking subway? Come on. Uh, so. Hey, do you think if we cut that seal open, we can get some hot dogs? What? I really didn't miss being here as much as I thought. <laughs> So he relearned his language and how to hunt, but he started to miss the hustle and bustle of the city that he felt alone in. He was basically a man trapped between two worlds, completely uncomfortable in both worlds. Like a mermaid. Like that's what the story is. That of a mermaid. That the, the plight the of a mermaid. mermaid. I thought so. Peary's 1909 expedition, uh, he set off with 23 men. And they arrived before winter and camped. Peary, uh, you know, he, met, he meets his lady. Right. 14-year-old banger, I guess. Oh, God. The way the expedition worked is Peary would leave men at camps and then move forward with less men, right? So they're leaving guys so you can come back and those guys are waiting for you, right? Right. Uh, And so at the last camp, he left the only guy who could record navigation, and he just headed out with five assistants. He then claimed he made it to the North Pole, though he would not show any of the assistants the readings on his instruments. Perry put an American flag with a diagonal stripe on it with a note in an empty tin and buried it in the ice. And then they turned around to return. Now, upon returning to Cape York, Perry was told that Frederick Cook was heading back to Copenhagen, claiming he had reached the North Pole first. Ha-ha! Perry was enraged. <laughs> Perry was in a fury. He ordered a ship to speed to the closest wiring station where he wired New York, where the New York Times, and said he had reached the North Pole. Oh, God. The Times. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially a tweet. Yeah. The Times had helped him fund the expedition. So they were. He all, uh, so Perry then sailed to Nova Scotia. Now, the same day that he arrived in Nova Scotia, Cook arrived in New York. And there were thousands of people lining the streets for the hero Frederick Cook who had discovered the North Pole. Oh, yes. The New York Herald front page headline was, The North Pole is discovered by Dr. Frederick A. Cook. Cook said, told the press, that he would give up his diaries and information to the press to verify that he had made it to the North Pole. He also said he had deposited a note in a brass tube (coughs) at the North Pole, which he buried in a crevice. 
His return journey had been brutal, and at one point, they had to camp in a cave for months waiting for the sea ice to harden. He just had to wait for all of his possessions to arrive, and all would be verified. But then Cook received a wire. Sorry, can I ask one thing? Yep. How, how, like... So the, the the verification process of someone actually arriving to a place like this is what is in the diary like? Well, well it, it's almost like if I were to be like, Dave, I found a monster called the Flurfenfaga, <laughs> and you're like, what is it? And I'm like, dude, it's this purple thing with four eyes, eight arms, and every time it jumps, it burps. So you mean like Crockerland? Yeah, it's kind of like Crockerland. Yeah, but I mean, like, you. so you... All right, well, we'll see. Let's okay. Listen. Let's listen. Let's listen. <laughs> so Cook, Let's both of us just listen a little bit. So Cook just has to wait for all his possessions to arrive, and, and then all will be verified. But then Cook received a wire. His supplies were supposed to be coming back on a ship, but he gets word that they're not coming. See, Cook had been forced to make a decision on his way back... Because one of his assistants had become ill. So to make, to make the final leg of his journey, he left many of his possessions with an American named Henry Whitney, who was on a sporting trip in the Arctic. So Uh-oh. he's a hunter. Whitney said he would bring back all of Cook's stuff. So Cook left his meteorological data, expedition records, but he took his diary and he left. The ship that arrived to bring Whitney back was Peary's ship. Oh, God. Perry had not yet told anyone he had made it to the North Pole, and when he heard about Cook, he interrogated the he, uh, Cook's Inuit assistants. So he takes these guys alone onto the ship, and he interrogates them. And then Perry refused to allow any of Cook's possessions on his ship. Whitney then hid Cook's possessions among some large rocks near the shoreline oh and left on the ship. Oh, wow. Back in New York... Cook learned that Perry had not allowed his possessions on board. Cook was, quote, seized by heart sickness. <laughs> Perry then sent a note to the New York Times saying, quote, don't let the Cook story worry you. Have him nailed. Oh, okay. The New York Times front page, exactly one week after the Herald front page, it said Cook had discovered the North oh, Pole. Oh, God. Read, Perry discovers North Pole after eight trials in 23 years. Now, naturally, the country was excited by the two claims. <laughs> Wait, in the way that they like beef, Everyone's or like, that holy shit! So they like yeah, they, it's no, this, this it's our fucking... Springer mentality oh at God. play well, again. This is East Coast West Coast rap, right? 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 right. Okay. Right. On. No, Biggie found it. <laughs> the two men then battled over who had reached the pole first in the press. Poles were taken, and people believe <laughs> North <Cook>. Poles. <laughs> people believe Cook. Had done it by a wide margin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but as the months passed, Peary ran a campaign against Cook. This is insane, by the way. Which was backed by the men with much greater financial weight, and it began to pick up momentum. Uh, I so, Cook, what? So, 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 no. You, I'm going to sew you. So, so he, <laughs> so now he is running a sort of po- posthumous campaign about. How he? Yeah, he's saying he made it to the North Pole, and he's running a he's running a he's campaign. running a, but after this is the most American thing he's ever anyone's ever oh done. Oh my god, this is the most American explorer of all time. Oh god, uh, all of Cook's <laughs> all, all of Cook's previous accomplishments began to be attacked, like his previous climb of Mount McKinley, 
a blacksmith who who had accompanied Cook on that journey and had written his, you know, his witnessings uh-huh. in the Mountain journey, suddenly changed his story, saying Cook had not reached the top. Then the men who accompanied Cook on his journey to the North Pole began, Pole began to change their stories. Then the National Geographic Society, which had long supported Peary's work and given him money for his expeditions, appointed a three-man committee to examine Peary's data. One member was a friend of Peary's. Another was head of the U.S. Coast and Geodex Survey, to which Peary had been officially assigned for his final expedition. And the third had been quoted in the New York Times as a skeptic on the question of the discovery of the pole by Cook. Now, amazingly, a month later, these three men announced Peary had reached the North Pole. So, meanwhile, Cook... Canceled the tour because of depression and laryngitis. Oh, God. He also sent a report to the University of Copenhagen, but did not want to send his original diary because he didn't trust that it would not be lost. Oh, God. He's really... The the university was expecting the original diary, so they announced that his journey could not be proven. So everything has fallen apart. The public took this meaning that it had been proved he was lying. Right. Not that they just hadn't gotten the information. Sure. And the press was now coming around to Peary's side. Now, one of the papers wrote that the blacksmith had been paid off. Like, they found proof that the blacksmith had been paid off to well, lie. It, it, it's ve- it is very similar to how scandal works nowadays, too. Yeah. And that, like, it's like it takes, you know, one thing happens... And then four other things that you already ha- that had already yeah. sort of happened come out, and then mistresses, and then someone else who says that this happened, and you yeah. know, you know, like the girl in Colorado that Kobe. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, nothing. Huh? Uh, so you said some. Yeah, attack the victim. So Excuse the me? press, press is coming around. Uh, Cook's instruments and records that Perry left behind in Greenland were never found, but he had his diary. In 1911. He appeared before the Naval Affairs Subcommittee in Congress to get recognition as the discoverer of the North Pole. But the committee was suspicious of the good condition of his diary, wondering how he could handle greasy food and not get smudge marks on it. That's just... (laughs) Why is this not filthy, sir? No, no, I think if you actually open it up, you'll see the evidence in there is very, very clear. I can't even eat... Liberty cabbage in the morning without getting it all over my suit. Well, I I do not want to get into. Look an at ar- my hands. Are they filthy? No. Yes, they are. They're okay, they are dirty filthy. Grime. You okay. know why? Why? I was eating and walking about. I, I I really I think if you look if you open some of the pages if you wipe off your clean. filthy hand and you open some of the pages very clean you'll see that there is ev- well so what I'm not a filthy eater. To open the, uh, what is your problem? Sir. Open the thing. Sir, how are you not a filthy eater? I sep I don't I don't eat over my diary. I would do it separately. Mm. I would compartmentalize mm. if you open if you open the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh my god. So the subcommittee approved a bill honoring Peary by a vote of four to three. The minority voters had, quote, deep-rooted doubts about Peary's claim. 
A bill was passed by Congress, and President Taft signed it, crediting Peary with being the only one to find the North Pole. Well, if you're trying to convince a president about a diary not getting food on it, Taft is not your man. <laughs> it's the wrong president. Pe- good. Well done. Thank you, sir. Peary uh, never again showed his polar diary, field papers, or other <laughs> yeah. data. Yeah, he became bipolar. Minnick, meanwhile, left Greenland in 1916 and returned to New York. Part of this was to continue his goal of getting back his father's remains. He tried and continued to fail. The museum said it knew nothing about the bones and told employees to deny that they were there. Through an intermediary, he petitioned President Theodore Roosevelt to get back the remains, but Perry persuaded them to pass. Good man. And because he was an Inuit, he had a hard time finding work. He then moved to New Hampshire, became a lumberjack, and lived on a farm with a friend. It was said these were the happiest days of his life, which came to a swift end. Uh, In 1918, the Spanish flu was ripping through the world, killing men and women who were the same age as Minnick. He succumbed to the flu at 28 and was buried in New Hampshire. At least they didn't put him on display. Yeah. None of the Inuit remains uh, have ever been, supposedly this is, none of the Inuit remains have ever been displayed at the American Museum of Natural History, according to them. But, uh... Yeah, but according to them, they've never displayed them. But they're there. There were once artifacts from expeditions like Peary's, but that display is gone. Just the meteorite remains. Uh, It was sold to the museum in 1904 for $40,000 and pulled on a cart by a herd of 28 horses from Brooklyn to the Upper West Side. But think of how... People lie in the streets to watch the thing that helps sustain a group of people in a faraway land now reduced to a spectacle. I mean, literally what I was just going to say, it's so... uh... Yeah, it's like the... what, What I mean... It's, it's nobody's. It's just what a waste! What an absolute. Like like it, it it's one. I mean to not have the uh, moral fiber to know that like stealing something that a population thrives on, you know that's already like uh, a little incomprehensible. But the the idea uh-huh. Uh-huh. that you're not bringing that back to do anything. You seem yeah. Upset. No, it's just a sick coffee table. You seem upset. Yeah, I'm a little upset. <laughs> All right, so Cook uh, went into the oil business in Texas. So now he is, everyone thinks he's a liar. Right? right, yes. So he goes into the oil business in Texas. In 1923, he was indicted on mail fraud charges related to the price of the stock in his company. Okay. His trial had 283 witnesses. 283, <laughs> including a bank examiner who all testified his books were in good order. Okay. And then he was convicted. Oh, God. The judge said while he was being sentenced, quote, you have at last got to the point where you can't bunko anybody. So he, but he's done nothing. Like he's, he's, he like did, he (laughs) did right. He's done nothing. He did right. He found Santa. He's done absolutely nothing. And he's like, well, finally. Now we got you, liar North Pole boy. Come uppins. You should have brought back an elf. So he was given 14 years and nine months. Oh my God. He was paroled in 1930 and eventually pardoned by FDR in 1940. Now, Peary, who at this point 
is a hero, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, he died in 1920, which uh, I wish it had happened sooner. Well, I don't know if I'm a right Santa alone in that. Um, wait, what did he die of? Uh, died in 1920 in uh, Washington D.C. Uh, yeah, again, I couldn't find out what he died. I think he just lived to a happy old age, which is great. Oh, good. And he, you know, he was a celebrity. Where are his bones on display? Uh, Fart Castle. Oh yeah, that's a great place. Um, now, Cook actually his uh, his oil company actually was on land that became the biggest oil find in. North America. So he, when he got out of prison, he was loaded. Uh, but I, I don't believe that that was his, though, because there were no ketchup <laughs> stains on any of the oil wells. So he's paroled in 1930 and pardoned in uh, 1940 by FDR. Okay. Okay. Um, the undisputed, uh, the first undisputed trek to the North Pole was made in 1968 on snowmobile. Other explorers have made the trek and all confirm Cook's original descriptions of the area, the Polar Sea, the Ice Islands, and the westward drift of the polar ice. So, hmm. yeah. Well, Minnick's father's... I guess we all hit that dead man an apology, don't we? <laughs> Minnick's father's remains were finally returned to Greenland and buried in 1993. The plaque. Right on time, just how we like to do it. The plaque in the church cemetery says they have come home, but the Museum of Natural History would not publicly acknowledge that the bones were returned. Hundreds of Aboriginal skeletons are stored in American museums all over America. God, it's so... It's just so messed up. What's wrong with keeping people in a basement and letting them die? Well, that, like, that, you know, I mean, again, it's like... You, you like the mentality of taking ownership over other lives. Like when I think about what really is like the best version of how society can be, it's a version where nobody bothers you just nobody bothers anybody. <laughs> like you're just you're able to just sort of like Imagine do how- your thing like you can. You can be, your sexual orientation can be whatever. You can be whatever color. It, it just, it doesn't matter. Like, if you're crazy, we'll try to deal with you. Like, if you're a criminal, we'll figure. But as far as, like, the general, like, but you the, just can't, you can't take humans. But there's clearly, you know, a lot of people are very good and would go there and trade with them and be like, hey, how you guys doing? But it just takes a small That's percentage the problem. of people to fuck It's the problem. Up. That's just the takes pr- a very small percentage. And the problem is that we are run by a small percentage. I mean, we're run whoa, we're run whoa. we're run by a small percentage of people. What are you talking about? We're run by a small percentage of people me? who have our best interests not at heart. What? This is whatever political party. Who? They don't. Who are you, right? sir? So they they don't and here here we sit. I really, going, I can't believe this. I really want to go to uh, Norway, Sweden, and check out how they live up there. Cause it keeps let me tell you, really super good. Let me tell you, it's taken over my Facebook feed. How they live in Sweden <laughs> and Denmark. Every two days, it's something else. They're like, uh, they've invented a road where uh, it's all. Uh, they've invented a solar powered yeah. highway.
this car will have sex with you. What? That was a thing they had in Sweden. Huh? The bank car. What? Maybe that was a dream. <laughs> uh, we signed bank cars. We signed bank cars. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.